I'm Tom Reaney, host of Jazz on the Mode. My guest today is Steve Davis, the trombonist and band leader, one of the all-stars of the music in our day, a mentor, an educator, and a protege. I think of Steve Davis as a protege of some of the greats, including Art Blakey and Jackie McLean, and a protege who's got to be making some of those uh, revered figures proud with uh, with his performances, his playing, and his commitment to the music and to education and to mentoring. And Steve has a new release. It's called Say When. It's brand new from Smoke Sessions. And in many respects, it's a tribute to J.J. Johnson, the giant of modern jazz trombone. And uh, it's a pleasure to welcome you here with me today, Steve. I know we've known each other for a long time. I know a lot of the backstory and and follow your career closely and see you uh, not as often as I'd like, but but often enough. But uh, welcome to uh, New England Public Radio today. Thank you for having me, Tom, to uh, WFCR and... Congratulations on the on the new digs here. The studio's beautiful here in Springfield. It's great. What occasions this uh, this new record and this tribute to JJ? Mm. Well, uh, this this project was something that I thought about doing and and wanted to do probably for about twenty years now since I was uh, a young player. You know, by my mid twenties, uh, certainly JJ had already been somebody I was listening to for about a decade since I started playing in in my teens. And um, from the first time I ever listened to him and then saw him uh, in 1984, I was 17 years old, I saw him at Saratoga at the the time the Cool Jazz Festival, I think now it's Fryhofer's for Mm -hmm. for years, Mm -hmm. at SPAC uh, up in Saratoga, New York. And he he was with this incredible all star lineup, and I still I have a, a you know like an old uh, not a Kodak but a snapshot <laughs> a Polaroid a Polaroid <laughs> yes of that gig, and I I was right down front. It was Dizzy Gillespie, Benny Carter, J.J. Johnson, Hank Jones, Ray Brown, and Louis Belson. Oh. Wow! And uh, seems like yesterday. And J.J. had a a, a white golf visor on and he was just just his presence alone and his sound and just the way he uh, delivered his notes to the audience you know it was just so commanding and striking and um, just like the records when you heard him play you know everything he played had such direction and and purpose and conviction and uh, I you know JJ used to have this gaze when he stood there and played out kind of like he was like he had his eyes on something far away that that he knew where he wanted to go and he knew where he wanted the music to go and um you know i just think he's he's our bird he's our charlie parker for the trombone he he really there or michael jordan of the trombone although although we would be we would say a larry bird of the trombone <laughs> i couldn't help it but uh Oh goodness! But um, maybe even the Bill Russell of the trombone. But um, that might be more appropriate. And um, you know, he he certainly belongs on the Mount Rushmore of modern jazz masters with Dizzy, with Bird, with Bud Powell, with Thelonious Monk, uh, Max Roach, Kenny Clark, J.J. Johnson. He's he's right there. Always heard him described as sort of the counterpart, the trombone counterpart to Bird and and Dizzy and uh, and Monk and Bud and Max and. Yeah. So when you saw him in '84, I mean that was 40 years into his uh, uh, career at that point, because uh, he had got started in the mid '40s, coming out of Indianapolis, and um, and uh, had been on uh, on the scene for a long time at that point. But yeah, and and you know, uh, actually, uh, he had been off the the straight ahead jazz scene, right. as as you know, he was, uh, you know, film scoring mm-hmm. out in Hollywood, TV writing. Um, I remember. Growing up uh, with a, a TV show that uh, the, the younger listeners won't remember, but some of us do, uh, Chips, mm-hmm. okay. California Highway Patrol, Ponch and John, Eric Estrada, you know, and so this was a very popular show when I was 12 or whatever, 15, and um, years later they were showing some reruns, and 
I was watching the film. Well, I was just kind of, you know, sitting there late at night in the hotel just watching Chips just for kicks. You know, yeah, man, I, re I remember this show. And the music was so hip. It was really good. All these chase scenes in the mm -hmm. California hills, you know, and so 80s, early 80s Hollywood. But the music was really cool. I thought, is that Quincy Jones maybe or... Man, and I thought, you know, that could be J.J. Johnson. It just it just felt like him to me because I listened to his writing and his music for so long, and sure enough, the credits rolled. Music, J.J. Johnson. Wow. I thought, you know, that's a broad scope yeah, uh, to, to, to venture into that world. Um, you know, J.J. wrote for a lot of the, uh, what, what they labeled the blaxploitation films of the mm -hmm. early 70s across 110th Street, and uh, I think some of the music for Shaft. Um and, and many other movies. So, you know, J.J. was uh, certainly uh, a man of music and a great composer, arranger, orchestrator. Um, you can hear this in his small group writing, going back to pieces like Enigma, mm -hmm, sure. the early Blue Note with, with Miles Davis and, and Jimmy Heath. Uh, just the counterpoint and the writing, it's very sophisticated. Right, And that's just for sextet. Right on up to the end of his career, he did the Brass Orchestra, one of his last records in 1996, and it's just uh, phenomenal writing. Slide Hampton also, uh, he recruited Slide to write for that and and uh, others. And But J.J.'s writing just stands out. It's so crystal clear. Um, there was a record from 1964, 66 maybe, for, is it RCA? I think called the Total J.J. Johnson. Mm -hmm. It's a big band, Dave, mm -hmm. where he wrote all the compositions, all the arrangements, and is the featured soloist. Hence the title. Sure, you know? sure. And it really is the Total J.J. and and I just love that record so much. And there are two tunes that we did on on uh, on the Say When uh, record date um, for Smoke Sessions. Uh, one is called Say When, and the other is called Shortcake that sure. came from that original big band record. And I remember, you know, this was after I was playing and had had a career going. But, you know, you have your days, you just felt like, man, I'm just, it's just not happening with my chops or whatever. And I would just put on that record in the living room and blast it and then pick up my horn. You know, I warmed up a little, and all of a sudden I could play again. It's like mm. I, just, I just knew how to play, kind of, <laughs> you know, <laughs> just listening to him. And I, I can imagine uh, if you're a, a baseball fan or a basketball fan, if you put on some of the, some of the greats and just watch the highlights, you know, and, and all of a sudden you can hit your jump shot or, <laughs> you, you, you know, you can hit the ball again or whatever. So, yeah. Well, I remember in the uh, 80s when J.J. reemerged, uh, it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, it was kind of uh... – he was almost in the wilderness, in a way, with that Hollywood uh, uh, career. And I know Oliver Nelson went in that direction. And of course, Benny Carter uh, was the first player, really, uh, certainly among yeah. African Americans, to yes. uh, break the color barrier there in Hollywood right after World War II. And, uh, and I know that for many years, people kind of lamented that Benny had such success in Hollywood that he was off the scene, you know, uh, playing nightclubs and concerts and yeah. stuff. But he uh, he came back, too, but I know it was a big uh, a kind of ringing um, a moment in the 80s when uh, J.J. Uh, was back on the oh, scene. Oh, yeah, and then a few years later in 87, I was a sophomore at the Hart School studying with mm -hmm. Professor Jackie McLean, and um, J.J. had that historic comeback gig at the Village Vanguard. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah, I forget what month, but it was in 87, and my roommate, John Hasselbeck, wonderful trombonist from Buffalo, New York, he and I were in the car Tuesday, boom, straight down to New York. And um, in J.J.'s, there's a book, uh, The Musical World of J.J. Johnson, uh, which is very interesting uh, uh, biography on him. And there's a picture in the book of this scroll that Slide Hampton, I believe, had started. And I held that scroll in my hands, and it was given to us to sign from the East Coast trombonist with love to J.J., our master hero, you know, welcoming, welcoming him back to mm. New York, basically, to, to perform in the straight-ahead jazz clubs of sure. New York, which he really hadn't done in about 20 years at that point. Long time. And uh, when John and I were handed this scroll back in the hallway 
by the payphone, by the kitchen, you know, in the Vanguard, we were looking at Gratian Moncourt and Slide Hampton and um, Wayne Andre and um, Robin Eubanks, who was a young mm-hmm. up and coming, mm-hmm. Steve Ture, of course, mm-hmm. you know, just so many great. I was going to say, how many signatories were there to that scroll at well, that time? Well, I'll tell you what, mine wasn't on it, and neither is John's, <laughs> because when we were handed it, we went, oh, no, we, we, we're just punks. Like we, we, we don't even count. You know, we just, it was almost like, oh, my God, no. You know, mm. when we, so I didn't sign it. <laughs> Isn't that funny? But, but, I, but I held it, and, uh, oh, man, I, you know, I can't remember, but everybody was there. The one I don't, who I don't believe was there was Curtis Fuller, oh. uh-huh. uh, who couldn't be there. But that's a whole nother interview. Sure. And story yeah, yeah. about how important Curtis is in this music and how much he means to me, uh, certainly personally. But but back to JJ, he he was playing so strong. Oh, I mean, his all in the end of his career that last decade, he was incredibly productive. I saw him many times. Um, got to meet him several times. He heard me once. In Brazil, I was with Jackie McLean's Sextet, and we opened for J.J. Johnson two different nights. In Brazil, huh? Yeah. Once in Rio, once in Sao Paulo. And uh, he said some very nice things to me, uh, you know, after that in the lobby of the hotel. Uh, I I owe this to J. Mac, Jackie McLean, forever, because, you know, Curtis Fuller was, I had met Curtis by then. Curtis was much more kind of open and warm and, accommodating and he really took me under his wing whereas JJ was it kept you at an arm's length a little more he he was uh, very cordial but sure. and so I I didn't get to really talk with him the way I'd hoped and I was still young maybe 26 27 years old so I'm thinking man I I blew it you know I had this 4 or 5 day chance I really didn't get to know JJ the way I hoped and we're getting ready to go back uh to catch our flights back to New York and we're all in the lobby and I see JJ standing over there, and then Jackie, I, he just he just dug it, you know, he he peeped it. So he says, "Hey Jay," right? And JJ looks over, he and he points to me, and he says, "Man, this cat here, Stevie D." He said, "Man, he 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 loves you so much, man. If you blow your nose a certain way, he's checking it out, man." <laughs> and so we all start laughing. That's Jackie. <laughs> and of course, I turned, you know, beat red, and yeah. <laughs> and we're laughing, and JJ steps over and he says yeah Jackie and he had this wonderful way of speaking which was almost nerdy or it's like the hippest nerd you ever heard you know (laughs) very very proper you know and he said well yes uh, Jackie uh, when I came in the theater last night during your set uh, I came in during round midnight during the trombone solo and uh, I heard this tremendous sound warm sound and clear articulation and harmonic ideas yes Stevie Sound beautiful, man. Right on track, baby. Keep it up. Wow. Wow. Boom. It's like my passport got stamped. (laughs) And that was it, you know. Mm -hmm. And I I never sent him my records or anything in the subsequent years. That was 94. He passed away in 2001. Mm. And I remember I started recording right after that as a leader for Criss Cross and... um, and some of the guys were saying, "Man, you should, you should send your stuff to Jay, man." You know, and I, his son Kevin told me once in Indianapolis, uh, in two thousand nine, maybe this was or two thousand seven. Uh, the family came out to hear hear me play with Slide out in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. and um, and Kevin told me, "Oh yeah, Jay was hip to you, man. He had some of your records. He he liked you." And so I, you know, that just meant the world to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I certainly wish uh, I'd gotten to know him better, but I felt like it was time where I'm at now in my career. Let's do this, and uh, you know, without going over the top, uh, writing wise, we kept it kind of loose, but we did do many of his compositions and, and standards that he that sure. I heard him play uh, in person, and it was a lot of fun to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds beautiful. I love it. Oh, thank I love you. it. It thank is. Uh, it's. I would say a career um, milestone at this point for oh, thanks, man. for you and um, and you know everybody really is up on, um, you know their toes on this one. Mabes Harold Mayburn caught me right oh, away. Well, it's uh, a hell of a band, and yeah. and I mean an all star band, and to be able to 
do this with Mr. Mayburn, um, you know, who I've known for almost 20 years now, and, and we played a lot together, uh, but I hadn't recorded with him since the 90s, which I just couldn't believe. I'm surprised to hear that myself. Yeah, yeah. we had done so much playing together and, and a, a few dates early on. He's on one of mine for Criss Cross called Crossfire, mm-hmm. and then we did a, with Cecil Payne for Delmark and with Eric Alexander for oh, yeah. Delmark. Great record. And um, Mode for Mabes, I think. And mm-hmm. then I, it's been a long time. Those were in the late 90s. And... Uh, he played with JJ, you know, in, in what, 63? Yeah, early 60s. 64, yeah. Yeah. and did a classic record called Proof Positive mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. JJ. That's mm-hmm. one of the Bible <laughs> <laughs> records for us. And uh, I love to, on the gig, I always hand him the mic because, you know, Mabes can go, man, and uh, the people need to hear that. And I give him the mic, and he talks about uh, his time with JJ and, 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 and a piece he wrote called uh, Mr. Johnson for JJ based on a warm up that he used to hear him do in the hotel down the hall and that that's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And you have uh, Eric Alexander who you um feel very strongly about here and I know you've made music with for a long time now but uh oh, yeah. I was I was impressed to hear you describe him as your favorite. Yeah, I well, I mean, you know, there's still Jimmy Heath walking the planet and <laughs> Benny Golson and and uh you know, of course, but uh, as far as my contemporaries mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, anyone coming up behind us, I mean, I just think Eric is just pound for pound. He's he's my guy, and uh, I think he's one of the all-time greats on the tenor sax. And uh, yeah, his playing is just phenomenal. And I've been there right next to him so many times. And uh, Good luck. You better eat your Wheaties and uh, have have your 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 brain working overtime. You know to uh, take a solo after him. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and and he's a great uh, ensemble player too. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't. He records quartets so much that which he should and obviously needs to to have that space. But a lot of people don't realize what a good blend mm, yeah. you can get with him. And Jim Rotundi and myself and Eric played many years together with a group called uh, One for All that some of your listeners might be familiar with. And um, by the way, spoiler alert, we're going in the studio in October for Smoke Sessions, the uh, One for All. Great. Yeah, the band. The band's going to get back together. And and we're going to do a date, uh, I think our first record in five years, Four yeah. or five years, mm-hmm. so we're looking forward to that. Now, Jim Rotundi's been living overseas, right? In Graz, Austria. Yeah. 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 Yep, and, yeah. and it's treating him very well. He, he sounds yeah. better than ever. Uh, and, you yeah. know, you were speaking of uh, uh, Harold Mayburn and Eric Alexander, whom I've seen together many times, Yeah. and I don't think I've ever heard them together without Mabes taking the mic to extol something about Eric Alexander. <laughs> I know. it's It's great. Yeah, he really means it too. He's very proud of Eric, and 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 George Coleman, the great George Coleman, comes to our gigs. He was there. He sat in with us at Smoke a few weeks ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what an honor to have uh, masters like that. And and in years past, Curtis Fuller's come to hear us. Um, oh, so many of the great Cedar Walton, uh, just so many of the greats have 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 uh, supported us over the years. And um, I think it's important, very important, and I hope that the up-and-coming generation of jazz players, serious jazz players, make that effort to connect, never mind with guys like me, I mean, that's, you know, but the guys who are still Jimmy Cobb and Bob Cranshaw and Harold Mayburn, uh, Louis Hayes, Jimmy Heath, um, George Coleman, you know. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the the architects of this music sure. and yeah. uh, who are still out with us, Curtis Fuller, we're still with us playing yeah. Slide Hampton. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's just been a blessing for me to have that chance to to be with all those guys. We recently lost Cedar Walton, and um, I developed quite a good rapport with Lord Walton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, and we, and we did a handful of recordings and gigs together, but it was the friendship. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, with with Cedar. I mean, you know, he he actually called me on occasion just mm-hmm. to talk, mm-hmm. and uh, 
that that's the biggest compliment I could ever get, you know. And and you learn so much in a 15, 20 minute, 10 minute conversation with with, with someone like that, you mm-hmm. know. Well, as I said earlier, uh, you know, you're kind of a model protege. Uh, you honor, you know, these masters so well, and um, and obviously uh, you endear yourself to them uh, as well. And uh, and I hope that you'll be a model to the next generation because soon enough, you know, you and Eric and Far- Joe Farnsworth and others yeah. are going to be, you know, you're going to be the uh, the living models for, of the music and. Yeah, it's and, uh, it's already <laughs> yeah starting to feel like that sometimes, and uh, which is daunting, but it's natural, you know. And um, I feel kind of prepared for it now, Good. you know, because of those experiences with Jackie McLean. Excuse me, all those years uh, being around Chick Corea, mm-hmm. uh, Cecil Payne, Horace Silver. How did your affiliation with Chick Corea begin? That's that's interesting. I was working with a bassist uh, from I- from Israel who was in New York at the time in the '90s, uh, Avi Shai Cohen. Oh yeah, sure. Who's a marvelous uh, bassist and composer and pianist. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. And uh, you know, Chick had heard Avi Shai's band, and I and Steve Wilson and I had been playing with him, and he wanted to sign him to a record deal, and so we did a record called Adama. Oh, for Chick's Stretch label, which mm-hmm. was a uh, subsidiary of Concord. Mm-hmm. And he liked the band so much, he, he was starting a new project for Sextet. And uh, he had Wallace Roney in mind, of course, the great Wallace Roney on trumpet. But Wallace was busy, and I'm so <laughs> honored, I still I can't even believe this. He called me up one night. He got my number in Hartford and called me. I was home babysitting Ant-Man who's Tony (laughs) Davis now, who's about to be 21, (laughs) and plays good guitar, by the way. Um, And so I I, I answered the phone, and I hear, Steve, Chick. And I said, Chick, Steve. (laughs) Like, really? And, uh, yeah, he said uh, he's never heard of somebody play trombone quite like me, and he he wants to write for Sextet, and would you like to go on the road with a group I'm going to call Origin with Steve Wilson and... Bob Shepard from L.A. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Saxophonist. Yeah. yeah, Reed Master. And Avi Shai and, and uh, at the time, Adam Cruz on drums. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Ballard wound up doing the gig um, mostly after that. And and Avi Shai, and I just said, yeah, wow, great. And, yeah, that really took off for about two or three years. I think we went everywhere in the world twice. Wow. <laughs> So you were the brass man on that front line with yeah. Steve and Bob, huh? How about that? Yeah. 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 That was a great, great time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. Now, I know this past weekend you were out in Hollywood at the Playboy Jazz Festival with the Dizzy Gillespie Alumni Big Band? Yes. Was it? Yes. How did that affiliation begin for you? Um, Did you work with Dizzy at all? Well, I no, not really. I mean, I did play with him uh, once or twice. But I, you know, I was I never worked in his band though. It mm-hmm. was he was a guest at Quinnipiac College oh, once okay. with Sonny Costanzo. Oh yeah, sure. And I was a baby. I was about twenty years old, and uh, and then I played opposite Dizzy with Art Blakey at, at the Vienna Jazz Festival. Except that Art Blakey's set, our set, got rained out. There was a massive thunderstorm, and then the United Nations Orchestra came on later because the weather cleared. So I, I met Dizzy, but no, I, I didn't work with him. Um, but Slide Hampton and Jimmy Heath uh, and John Lee, the bassist who yep. who runs the band, they, you know, they all were familiar with me. And, and it, I think it was my affiliation with Jackie McLean mm-hmm. over the years that kind of brought me in that door. And they said, yeah, you know, Davis seems appropriate for this gig. And, and I've been in that band 14 years now. Yeah. So uh, it's been great. How was the weekend in Hollywood? Great. It was a lot of travel to play one set, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so you want to be a jazz musician. You know, oh my gosh, our flights from Newark, both ways, out and back, delayed for hours. Oh. And Mr. Jimmy Heath, 88 years young, mm-hmm. he was right there for all of it, and we're all moaning and groaning. I'm still moaning and groaning about it. Not him. He just 
just yeah. smooth sailing right through the whole thing and mm. and played so beautifully and he Jimmy Heath is just an absolute talk about a model sure and uh, I even, also even keeled man great sense of humor oh man but yeah you know just <laughs> yeah moving right through yeah, I, I, I also uh, play in his big band, yeah. which is a delight. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a new one out, relatively recent, called Togetherness, that we did live at the Blue Note, and, and that's a fun one. You know, speaking of Blakey and getting rained out, uh, this was before you were with the Messengers, but Art played the uh, Jacob's Pillow oh, in yeah. Western Mass in the, in, uh, in the Berkshires. It was a Sunday afternoon jazz series they would have in the summertime, and they would open up the big barn from the front and the back. It was a beautiful backdrop. But on this particular day, the conditions were horrible. It was like hurricane-like conditions. And it got bad enough that there was a complete power outage in the entire area. And eventually, um, the Jacob's Pillow people got a generator together and were able to uh, bring a little bit of power, I think maybe just for the base amp. I remember the facility itself remained fairly dark. A little bit of daylight, you know, was leaking through, but Blakey came out and he said, um, you know, we're the jazz messengers. We got a message to deliver. If this was Max Roach, he wouldn't put up with this, <laughs> but we're the jazz messengers, you oh, know. My gosh. It was uh, a great concert, you know. Wow. Yeah. wow. What, yeah. what year was that? Around 86. Oh, great. Was that Terrence Blanchard? It was Terrence, Donald, Donald and Gene Toussaint. Yeah, yep. yep. Tucson. Don- Tucson. Yeah. Uh, Donald Brown. Yeah, and I think it was Plaxico or Peter Washington. Uh, maybe. Young Peter. Yeah. By then. Yeah, yeah probably. I, you know, I, I, that's around the time I started seeing the Messengers mm-hmm. was uh, a couple years before in in Binghamton, New York, at SUNY Binghamton, now Binghamton University. It was basically that band, but with Mulgrew. Ah, uh, Mulgrew and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Plaxico, but the same front line. Yeah. 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 Wow, the messengers, man. Um, well, yeah. they're still giving 100%, you know, even under those really adverse circumstances. I believe you know? it. I, I and believe they wailed. It. That was our yeah. Blakey. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, this is your debut release on Smoke Sessions Records, which is a fairly new label run or kind of a an auxiliary operation of Smoke, the nightclub on the Upper West Side of New York. And it's beautiful, and Smoke has released some beautiful material in the last just 18 months or so with Eddie Henderson and a couple of dates with Harold Mayburn and David Hazeltine and yeah. and, uh, and Javon Jackson and, yeah. and others on yeah. the label, Vincent Herring. Um, uh, congratulations. Um, Thank you, Tom. Uh, what's Thank ahead? You. What, uh, what are your plans with Say When? Wow. Well, I I have to thank Paul Stash and uh, everybody at Smoke, uh, Paul and Frank and and Damon, and not only everyone at the label, but as you say, it's it's really just an outgrowth of of the club. And everybody at the club, um, they've just been magnificent to work for over Mm -hmm. the years uh, in every way. And... um, but the but with the with the label they're doing a great job um, with production. Uh, Jimmy Katz took some beautiful pictures yeah. mm-hmm. for everybody. I mean, you see they they have a look, um, they have a feel, uh, and you know some of the records are recorded live at the club. Ours certainly could have been, but Paul wanted to go in the studio. He's quite a good engineer actually as well, and. Uh, uh, although he hired an engineer, but he he kind of co-engineers the dates and and produces, and mm-hmm. he's got a very good sense of uh, how to be involved, but not too involved. And um, I thought they got a great sound, and and uh, we had three days, uh, you know, to to play in the club right after Thanksgiving weekend. That's kind of become my slot. Oh yeah, uh, we're mm-hmm. going to do it again this November. Nice. Okay, yeah, um, with the same band, yeah, with a. Uh, Eddie Henderson, Eric Alexander, myself on the front line, and Harold Mayburn, Nat Reeves, sure. Professor Nat Reeves, <laughs> my, my colleague from the Jackie McLean Institute down the road at the University of Hartford at the Hart School, and Joe Farnsworth. Uh, so, you know, we, um, we, we enjoyed it. Uh, the process was rare because a lot of these record dates, 
you have half a rehearsal and one day. Mm-hmm. And at least this way, we did do it in one day, but that's because we've been playing the music three nights mm-hmm. in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, no, it's so. amazingly impressive. Eleven titles here, uh, all of them beautifully uh, uh, performed and, and in one day. And Steve, just you know, explain to me a little bit here. It says this was recorded at the Stash Sound Studio at the Duke Ellington Mansion. Well, in New York. they did the mixing there. All right. I think the mixing and editing, but the that's right. That's but right. Sears Sound, okay, was where okay. we did the date, which has been there for. It's a yeah. good studio, but yeah, you know there is this on Riverside Drive. Mm-hmm. I never knew it. I'd heard about the Duke Ellington Mansion, but that's right off 106th Street, which is called Duke Ellington uh, Boulevard, Boulevard. I believe. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's, that's Duke had a had a mansion there, and in the basement. Uh, Paul does his. That's where they kind of do the mastering, oh. mixing, the first po- post production. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's pretty cool. Excuse I, me. I knew that Duke lived there, had a home there. That the street is named for him there, but I didn't know there was you know facilities in the mansion now that were used for purposes <coughs> yeah. like that. So that's a yeah. a, a touchstone yeah, certainly sure. to the history of jazz. And yeah. mm. um, I you know I also have done. In recent years, several several uh, dates for Positone out of mm-hmm. Los Angeles, which is another marvelous uh, jazz label. Uh, Mark Free and Nick O'Toole, those guys are very dedicated to to the music. So, I, you know, in the future, um, I may do some more, some more projects for them. Uh, it's kind of open for me right now. Uh, perhaps another one for Smoke down the road, which would be great. Um, and uh, just trying to stay productive, and um, I have a lot of ideas. I, I feel like I could do five or six <laughs> projects right now. And what's on your mind? Oh man. Um, well, one that's exciting is uh, my son Tony, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, I, at the risk of you know nepotism, uh, it's, risk it. It, it certainly isn't that, um, he and I just like playing together mm. and he's uh, 21 years old next week, plays the guitar. He's one of our students at the, at the heart school. Yeah. Um, and he's just one of the guys, he's one of us, you know, um, anybody who's heard him, he, he really plays and, uh, not only as a soloist, but he's a good comper and mm. I can play quartet with him and just, I love the piano. I mean, I'm a piano junkie. Cedar Walton, Hank Jones, Harold Mayburn, Larry Willis. Mm-hmm. Oh, You're my, good my, my yeah. dear friend and mentor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I love the chords. Dave Hazeltine, mm-hmm. uh, Mike LaDon. I mean, I could just go on and on, you know, all the great pianists I've been lucky to play with. But Tony has a good feel. He's uh, kind of like Bernstein and uh, Peter Bernstein and, you know, guys who can really comp mm-hmm. and uh um so I, I i keep encouraging him in that regard you know keep getting your chords together because you'll you'll work people will want to play with you so I, I would love to do a quartet project with him and kind of <laughs> cut him loose and sort of introduce him onto the scene because i think he's ready he's going to grow a mm-hmm. lot mm-hmm. but hey we've been gigging for a couple years around hartford mostly he, he came and sat in with us at smoke and down at the side door in Old Lyme, and he Great. was up there with, yep. with the big boys uh, holding his own. So that would be fun. There's also a, a cadre of recent uh, JMAC Institute graduates, mm-hmm. Jovan Alexander, mm-hmm. Josh Bruno, yeah. trumpet, uh, Jonathan Barber, the yeah, drummer, drummer, Tabor Gable. Pianist. Yeah, yep. and another, another guitarist, uh, Andrew Renfro, oh, yeah. who <clears throat> has been a huge influence on my son, and uh, Andrew's down in New York with Tabor. They're at Juilliard. And um, Jonathan Barber. Oh, Matt Dewanzik, wonderful bassist. Wonderful bassist, yeah. There you go. That sounds like a band to me. Yeah. And uh, we've done some gigs and stuff, so I, I, I would love to record with them. Well, a lot of you are together on uh, Josh's uh, debut, uh, Bright Idea. Uh, yeah. Josh Bruno's uh, recording yes. from last year that sounds terrific and a real, yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. you know, a solid representation of the Hartford jazz world. Uh, on that, uh, that's yeah. a seller live release, uh, right? Recorded at Smalls. Yeah. yeah, and and that community of musicians, and and there's so many young talents, and and then my son Tony is in a another crew. Uh, there's a young alto player named Jordan Young from New York, 
who I think is going to be special. I mean, there's just so many uh, who keep coming. Yeah. Uh, um, a young alto player named Mike Casey, who sounds oh, yeah. very good yeah. from Hartford. And, um, yeah, I could just go on and on. I mean, the, you know, so that part of my life, the, the uh, tying in performing, of course, with teaching and our program down there at, at, at the Hart School, Jackie McLean Institute, that's always on the front burner for me and uh, and my colleagues, Nat Reeves and uh, Javon Jackson and Abraham Burton and um, Renee McLean, who mm-hmm. we're lucky to have there with us, and Chris Casey and, you know, so many other great teachers there. So uh, Sean Montero. Um, so, you know, we, we're trying to uh, per- perpetuate this music. Yeah. But but you can't do it all in the classroom. You, you can do a lot, but, you know, we learned from Jay Mack. He, he he would take take us out to play too. Not 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 everybody's going to be in Jackie McLean's band, or you know. But we he he was very generous with his time in and out of the classroom, and over at the Artist Collective, mm-hmm. uh, and in Hartford. And so you know we try to do the same. Well, um, I've always been impressed with the uh, level of. Uh of engagement that you um, uh, have with uh, young players around Hartford. I mean, it's almost 25 years you've been on the faculty yeah. there at Hart and the Jackie <laughs> McLean Institute. How and, did that um, happen? I must have started when I was 10. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't look that young, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> but, but i got to say, Steve, as, as long as I've known you, um, or close to that, uh, I've often seen you in that... Uh, um, circumstance of uh, guiding and mentoring young players, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen you in a classroom. I see you on the bandstand at uh, yeah. venues around Hartford, and um, up here you brought Tony up for our Jazz on the Mode celebration in oh, November. Oh, that was, yes, and, um, and congratulations again. Thank that, you. That was very special. Tom. Thank you. That was great, and well-deserved. But it's, it's great to see, you know, the success of your program at heart, because these are players whose, uh, you know, are Making their way on the scene and uh, getting established and yeah, and uh, carrying on the uh, the tradition as it were. Desron Douglas, oh. uh, Lummy Span, James yeah. Burton, mm-hmm. who was a wonderful mm-hmm. trombonist. Mm-hmm. He was one of the best students I'll ever have. And uh, now I see him on the bandstand in in Christian McBride's trombone section with his yeah. big band, yeah. or Ron Carter's mm-hmm. section, or the Dizzy Band section. So um, that makes me so proud. There's a great tenor player, Ray McMorrin, who's been in Japan for 10 years, uh, raising his family over there. But he comes back and plays with us every few years. And I I did a tour with him last December. Uh, Another student, Yusuke Imanishi, who's a trombonist from Japan, he spent his four years in Hartford. Now he's back over there making records and playing. And there's just so many students that, that, uh, former students, even back to... Believe it or not, I can claim Jimmy Green and Wayne Escoffrey oh, and oh, wow. and Julius Tolentino. They were uh, and Chris Allen, mm-hmm. who's up mm-hmm. up at Williams, Williams College, College now yeah. and a yeah. wonderful player and teacher. That was my read section when I conducted the big band mm-hmm. after Al Leepak retired in, in the nineties. And you know, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny to say, "Wow, those were my students." But um, so it's it's just an honor to be a part of it. And we all kind of get that it's J. Mac's legacy. Sure, I was just about to say Jackie must have been a huge model and influence in this way. Oh yeah, Uh, yeah. So it's just been a privilege to be a part of that. And uh, Nat Reeves and I, uh, the the great bassist Nat Reeves and I, we we stay very close. We talk every day. Um, If you look at my catalog, geez, he's on. I don't know how many of my records, eight or ten. Yeah, you know, it's uh, he's got that beat, mm-hmm. that sound, and it's so special. And uh, you know, Nat teaches that way as well. He he really has a way of uh, guiding the students uh, in a very natural way. He's a wonderful mentor. Mm-hmm. to our students. He I, made a beautiful record a couple of years ago, State of Emergency, which I think was Josh's, Josh Bruno's first yeah. uh, date and Jonathan Barber yep. and, um, and uh, Rick Germanson uh, yeah. on that date, too. It sounds yeah. beautiful. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Actually, Jovan Alexander and I 
were supposed to play on that. And they recorded it in New London, down there at the Avatar Studio mm-hmm. in New London, formerly Power Station. And the day the, they some of the of the guys on the record had gone the night before, very wisely. They got a hotel room. Jovan and I didn't, and we had an incredible blizzard. Okay. The day they made that record, they were snowed in, and mm-hmm. we just literally could not get there. Uh, okay. <laughs> so it wound up being a quartet record, and it came out great. Uh, with Josh playing the trumpet, and I, I, you know, in in a way, I'm glad because it was a real coming out for Josh Bruno, and a way for Nat to introduce him, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and and JB on drums, and then of course Rick, the great pianist Rick Germanson. So, yeah. Earlier in this uh, conversation, you said uh, serious jazz players. What do you mean by that? Gee, did did I say that? Uh, yeah. Well, wow. That could be a can of worms, couldn't it? Um, Open it up. Yeah, you know, I'll play, I'll play with anybody, um, and I've actually played a lot of different styles of music and listened to. Obviously, growing up, a rock and roll kid in the '70s, and and soul R and B, and and uh, you know, you name it. Um, a little hip hop, sure. I remember when it was new and and very exciting. And of course, that influences your your music. Uh, um, and bluegrass, and I mean, I, I I listen to and certainly classical music. But with that said, you know, there's our music, American jazz music, and now it's a world music. I mean, you go to Japan, you go to Italy, you go to the Netherlands. I don't care where you go. They have their own great players everywhere. and But the tradition of this music is American, and there's such a, a vital history. And, I, again, something I learned from Jackie McLean. I, I learned it from my father, too, and, and my own family, my, my grandson, my nana, who played piano. The, to me, you've got to have a reverence for your predecessors and— you got to listen and go, like we talked about earlier, go see the masters play, try to get to know them. This is how the tradition is passed down, and your playing will have another kind of depth and meaning that you just won't have if you think, you know, well, that's old, that's already been done, I'm doing my own thing, and, and that's as deep as you go is doing your own thing. You might be real talented, but we all do our own thing. <laughs> you don't really have to practice being you, you know? You should practice some of John Coltrane's music or Billy Strayhorn's music, and, you know, Charlie Parker's music. That might help you. Monk's music. Go back and, you know, because I guarantee you, you can keep coming back to Richard Rogers, Cole Porter, George Gershwin. You can keep coming back to that music over and over and over again. And hopefully, I've written some compositions that people might want to play 20, 30, 50 years from now, 10 years from now, tomorrow, you know. Um, but I think it's a balance. E- even Stevie Wonder, I mean, you know, whatever mm. the whatever the songbook is for you, great. Um, but just trying to reinvent the wheel and... That's I think that's a dead end street and and I think unfortunately we're in such a uh, an era in our society where everyone is so utterly self congratulatory. Look what I had for lunch on Facebook and all that and I, I mean we all do it now, but you know I think we've gotten a little carried away with all of that and. Uh, um, I don't know, you know, not not everybody's an innovator. You don't have to be. How about just being a good musician first? You know? Uh and 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 I I think the the sort of fresh new thing gets a little over over hyped sometimes. And yeah, you know. Let me ask you as as a player who's active day in and day out on the scene and also as an educator what sort of percentage, if we could think in those terms, of musicians do you encounter who are uh, content being players rather than innovators? 
Huh. That's an interesting question. I mean, I don't know if I could put a number mm-hmm. on it, but I mean, that's definitely an informed question from you, you know, to ask. Um, I would say that that nearly all of of the players that I that I could call colleagues and have worked with in and out on you know just you name it record dates tours gigs um, almost all of us do not think of ourselves as innovators we're just trying to play play the parts <laughs> we're just trying to play the song well, we're just trying to take a good solo and swing hard and play something pretty through the changes, play something meaningful. Um, deep down, sure, all of us are pushing. I mean, I, I'd like to think that at this point by now I've played some things on the trombone. Um, I mean, some folks have told me this. Uh, I remember Freddie Hubbard telling me this once. That's another master of masters you know that I was that I can call a friend I and mean, we were buddies and I got to work with him and uh, quite a bit and uh he said what I played was uncommon for the trombone that he heard it coming out of JJ and Curtis and Slide Hampton in particular but that I had my own thing and that you know he, he told me once yeah Davis you know you you play things you know kind of uncommon to hear on the trombone I thought wow Okay, and and Jay Mac, uh, see Jay Mac had that balance where he was always pushing the envelope. As we know, he was a pioneer. He uh, we just lost Ornette Coleman, the great Ornette Coleman, last week. But you know, to me, with all due respect to Mr. Coleman and his wonderful legacy in the music, Jackie McLean was the first free freedom guy. I mean, with Mingus and. And that's after he had already totally established himself as a straight-ahead bebopper. I mean, he 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 never lost that. And Ornette loved Bird too, you know, in his own sure. way. It's just apples and oranges. But I don't think Jay Mack nearly got the credit for his expansive influence in jazz. He he was one of the first new thing or avant-garde players. One of the first. And at the same time, nobody could play through Round Midnight or, you know, any tune, you know, Solar or Stella by Starlight or, you know, uh, Star Eyes, Confirmation. Jackie McLean was a bebopper. He could play through those changes like lightning and play the blues and swing his, you know, what off. Mm-hmm. And, and yet and still pushed and came up with new things he used to call them as systems he'd call you up say hey hey son you got a minute <laughs> yes of course he'd say i'm over here working on some uh, uh, some new systems man check this out but do you but do you but do you but some cyclical kind of thing some people call them patterns mm-hmm. you know d- devices whatever he called them systems i love wow. that and <laughs> And he, and he just, he, he did, he came up with new stuff all the time, his writing, the rhythm of the earth, and the tunes I got to be involved with early in my career, totally because of him. Um, so, you know, I, I think I learned at an early age, and Chick Corea too, is, is like this in a different way, but totally pushing all the time, but, but loves and knows the heck out of some Bud Powell. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or Ellington or Art Tatum, you know, you'd be on the road with Chick. He's got the headphones on on the on the bus. What are you listening to, Art Tatum? <laughs> what are you listening to, Red Garland mm-hmm. with Miles? I mean, see, to me, those are the guy. That, that's my model. Is you know, you're always going forward. You're always trying to keep the music fresh and interesting, but you never abandon the tradition. No. Sure. Because I like to pat my foot, and I like a pretty melody too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love the blues. Mm-hmm. Sue me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? It's interesting to mention Jackie in the context of Ornette because, you know, there's similarities, but they're mostly differences. And what comes to mind for me, first of all, is that Ornette was largely a self-taught, self-directed player all the way through his his early life and his career, Jackie came up, you know, tight within 
a jazz community in New York with Elmo Hope and Sonny Rollins and Miles and Charlie and be, Parker, of course. Being around uh, you know. Bud, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then he worked with Mingus. And, yeah. and that opened up uh, you know, a new vista in a way. I, I can remember Jackie's wonderful line about working with Mingus. He said he gave me my exploration papers. Yeah. You know, and Jackie was about a 25 or 6-year-old at the time he worked with Mingus, yeah. but um, yeah. was fully established, as you say, as a complete player. And then uh, began to explore more and uh, and innovate. Yeah. And Ornette had a very different uh, sort of life and career path than that. Um, yeah, he, he was yeah. he was sort of like totally outside, you know the uh, um, the jazz uh, world in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it seemed that way. I mean, I don't know as much about Ornette's music as I do Jackie McLean's, but but I certainly listened to Ornette, especially his earlier Atlantic. And contemporary, sure, yeah. The, I think just one for contemporary, two, and, but or uh, two yep. in LA, mm-hmm. and then the Atlantic Records, and yeah, I mean, you know, it, yeah, it's and and they did one together. Yes, sure, new and old gospel. Yeah, yeah. and Ornette played trumpet. Yeah. That's what he was. Yeah. That's what he wanted to do that right. day. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's very interesting that. The, well, the pianist on the date too, which I think was the first time Ornette was on a record with uh, with a pianist. Uh, right, because he always Jackie, played so. without it, or yeah, usually, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Wow, we could go all day. I was afraid of that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to do it again, Tom. It's, yeah, sure, it's Steve. It's just such a pleasure, and I have to tell you on on the air here that uh, I came to Hartford in 1985, 18 years old, to go to the Hart School. And study with Jackie McLean. And, and my dad uh, told me back then, he said, son, there's a very hip station. And this is before the Internet days. He had just driven through and he knew about you. He said, there's a very hip station. It's up there, I think out of Amherst or Northampton, up, up in there called WFCR. And there's a guy on there named Tom Rainey. He's got a program, Jazz a la Mode, 88.5. Tune into it. <laughs> And boy, thank you, I, Mr. Davis. And I did, and yeah. I I've been tuned in ever since thank you, for Steve. thirty years. So thank, thank you. you for what you do here. Oh, thank you're you. welcome. And, and Kari and Jerry mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. everybody at WFCR, mm-hmm. we love you down in Hartford, and we appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you, Steve, Stevie D, and congratulations on this uh, outstanding new record that we're looking forward to playing from a whole lot of um, say one smoke sessions. And we'll see you around, Steve. Thank you very much. Thank you, All Tom. Right. Good day. <laughs>